Prime Minister about to raid the defence budget to pay for hospitals. Why is number 10 in a grump with Trump over Putin? NATO boss Stoltenberg sings the UK's praises, but who's listening? And the RAF police the skies over Romania. We are there ready over the Black Sea if required to intercept any, any threat. In the past 24 hours, defence stories have been everywhere. Today, Downing Street denied reports the Prime Minister has asked the Defence Secretary to justify Britain's role as a top global military power. And now we have a report that President Trump is planning to talk to President Putin when all the other NATO leaders say he should be isolated. Well, I'm joined, as usual, by our defence analyst, Christopher Lee. Hello, Christopher. What's going on? Right, you've got the Prime Minister making a big announcement this week, but it wasn't about defence. What it was, it was about National Health Service. The National Health Service is going to get billions more. And the idea is that it comes at a time when uh, chiefs of staff and, and the defence secretary and ministers have been saying, I think we're all right for increases in defence budgets. And the prime minister is having pressure on her to say, somebody has got to pay for the new, the new money for the national health. And for the first time, we're hearing that could also come out of the defence budget. Now, the second part of three days or two days ago, there was a mini-meeting in the Cabinet Office. And the the Prime Minister was saying, uh, or listening to the Defence Secretary, saying, OK, you have to, in a couple of days' time, give me a copy of where we're going with with your defence review. Because I've got to use that when I go to the NATO summit on on the 12th of July, uh, and I've got to tell them this is what we're doing. You've got to put something down, which I, in the heat of having having, uh, President Trump watching me, I can actually say, this is what we're going to do. This is the role of the British. This is where we're going to be doing this for the next 20, 25 years. And somebody will say, at that meeting, why have you got these great uh, carriers? Uh, And what are you going to do with these carriers? Because the rest of us can't support you because we don't have maritime uh, units, etc. So in other words, yes, you've got to show me and so I can tell NATO where Britain stands in the next 30 years. But Downing Street's denying that the Prime Minister has asked the Defence Secretary to justify Britain's role as this top tier one. It's not justifying it. What it is, is telling them what, you know, this is it. How it is. Because Britain is, is just about to produce a defence paper, a white paper, it used to be called a white paper, which says this is where we're going and this is why we need X number of pounds and we will be spending sort of more than 2%, etc. Now, that is not justifying it, but in what it is is actually saying what we're going to be doing with the money, but more importantly, what we've got, what we do. Now, we had, for example, uh, the Secretary-General of NATO in London this morning telling the world in a speech, a public speech, all the things that Britain has done over the past 10 years. And it's, 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 it's quite sort of impressive. And that is the sort of thing that, that, that Mrs uh, May has to hear before she goes to the, defend, uh, goes to the NATO meeting in, in, uh, in Brussels. And don't forget, NATO itself doesn't own a single thing. When people say 2% you know, more spending in NATO countries, NATO doesn't own, own, own a frying pan. Mm. Uh, it's individual countries that own this. So Britain's position is very important. And so it, it, even in the smaller thing that's going on in Europe at the moment. Well, earlier I spoke to Dr Keith Hartley, who is Emeritus Professor of Economics at the University of York. Well, some 
something has to go. Um, you can't suddenly spend huge amounts, or, uh, additional amounts on the health service, uh, and that involves a price. Uh, and that price being that we either pay more taxation, we borrow more, uh, or other parts of the public sector suffer cuts. And clearly, defence is a possible candidate here. Um, it, it, there's a debate within defence as to whether we're spending the right amount. Um, at the moment, the, the, the emphasis is upon spending 2% of our GDP on defence to meet our NATO commitments. I think that's the wrong question. The question we should be asking, what is the output we're getting from defence? And I think I'd equally ask that question about the NHS. What are the health outcomes um, from the NHS? Especially in light of the um, problems which arose recently in terms of Gosport Hospital, um, where the results don't appear very inspiring. Mm. According to a report in the Financial Times, Theresa May has told the Defence Secretary to rethink what capabilities will be needed in future and is questioning, according to the report, whether the UK needs to be a tier one military power. Is that the right question? I think it's a good question to ask. It's one that needs to be asked and it needs to be answered. And the answer really involves the debate about the, as an economist I would see about the debate about the costs and the benefits uh, of the UK's special relationship with the United States and its world military role. And the question we have to ask is, how much does it cost to have this world military role and what are the benefits? Um, my own estimates, the very crude estimates, back of the envelope calculations, suggests that we might be spending about up to 1% uh, each point of our GDP in being a world power. And we have to ask ourselves, do we get benefits from being a world power um, and also from our special relationship with the United States equal to those uh, about 1% of GDP, that sort of costing? So what, what is your take on this? Do you think we're spending too much on defence? No, I don't think we're spending too much. I think we could spend it more efficiently, as I think uh, I, I apply the same point there to uh, the whole of the public sector, including the NHS, where I think there is considerable scope for improving efficiency. But in, in terms of defence, um, I, I would start from some very simple economic principles and say, well, the military has to justify the output we're getting from defence spending. We're spending a substantial amount of money, 2% of our GDP. Um, what's the output? Can the armed forces justify in terms of the capabilities we're getting and ultimately the contribution to peace, protection and the security of our citizens? That's what defence output should be about. But the problem is we've got no decent measures of defence output. Typically what we do is we say inputs equals outputs. Mm. Um, it's, not a very, it's not a very sensible judgment. That doesn't help at all. Um, but, you know, we, we, we can think of the implications of spending more or less. Yes. I mean, you talk about not being able or the difficulties of measuring how much we get out of of what we put into defence. And that opens the door for for myths and emotion. Uh, Is the MOD looking at the budget all wrong? Well, quite often, certainly there are pressures on MOD um, to respond in terms of, oh, we've done it like this for so many years. Or we now have the smallest army that we have since, since Waterloo. I'm not surprised. Wrong question. Wrong comparison. Waterloo was a long time ago. Technology's moved on. Nowadays, we, um, we could achieve the destruction of targets, I have to put it like that. We could achieve that capability with a few small missiles uh, capable of hitting targets at considerable distances, whereas in World War II, we probably had to have a thousand bomber raid. We can do that job now with a few missiles. Mm. Um, but the, the military are facing a major problem, the health services as well. And that major problem is the military um, are finding that defence equipment is costly and the costs are rising. 
and they're rising substantially. And typically, if defence budgets aren't rising, that means we can't replace equipment on a one-for-one basis. If you were at the Treasury, what would you be doing with the defence budget? Um, I'd probably keep it about the same, but I'd, I really would look more critically about changing its, the way in which we spend our money. Um, for example, the, there are rumours that if we go for defence cuts, the Royal Marines might be cut. Um, I suspect that's a wrong cut. Um, I would look more critically at the army uh, and whether we need a standing army of 80,000 and could reduce that to, say, um, 50,000. Um, there's, a, there's an emphasis at the moment on replacing um, and providing strike capability for our new carriers. Um, and there's a focus on uh, almost a need to get 140 um, F-35B strike aircraft. Um, we're not going to get 138. Um, you know, we're looking to get 70. But I think what we could do is make do with 70 mm-hmm. and buy some more typhoons. So if you were to overall rank defence and its needs with the other competing departments, you mentioned the health service and there's also education, obviously, as well. Uh, where would you put it? About third. I'd probably third. After um, health and education, um, I, I put defence third. That was Dr Keith Hartley, Emeritus Professor of Economics at the University of York. Sit Rep with Kate Still to come, the RAF police the skies over Romania and will Brexit black out Britain's Euro security? NATO's Secretary-General is in town. Jens Stoltenberg is visiting Britain as part of a tour of NATO countries ahead of next month's summit in Brussels. He's appealing for member states to continue to work together despite a series of high-profile disputes between the United States and other allies. Together, North America and Europe represent half of the world's economic might and half of the world's military might. Together, we are powerful. Together, we are strong. And together, we are secure. Well, his warning comes amid reports Donald Trump is preparing to meet Russian President Vladimir Putin during his forthcoming visit to Europe. Mr Stoltenberg says both European nations and North America are making bigger commitments to NATO. We have deployed multinational battle groups in the Baltic countries and in Poland. We have tripled the size of the NATO response force. We have established a task force ready to move at 48 hours. And we have stepped up our efforts in the global fight against terrorism through the global coalition to defeat ISIS. He also praised Britain for its contribution to the alliance. You provide high-end capabilities, conventional, cyber and nuclear. You are also leading one of the battle groups in the Baltics. And the UK is central to our fight against terrorism in Afghanistan and in Iraq. You lead by example by spending 2% of GDP on defence. Well, Christopher, that'll please Mr Trump, won't it? Well, I think it probably will as far as the United Kingdom is is concerned. But Mr Trump will also come back to the point, and that is, it's rather like Keith Hartley was saying, isn't it's not so much what you spend, it's what you spend it on. But by and large, the United Kingdom's got its, 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 its position right. What we're also getting, though is to show that what Mr. Trump says uh, has great political uh, history 
And when he says something or decides to do it, other people feel they have to react. They can't just sort of say, oh, yes, that's what Trump says, and, and that's it. We've got a perfect example now. He is reported as saying that he's going to try and fix up a meeting with the Russian president, President Putin, and it'll probably be in, in somewhere like Vienna, may not be in um, Moscow, at the time of the NATO summit. Mm. And so you've got these characters quoted in, in number 10 Downing Street. So he cannot do that. Oh, yes, he can, because that's what he does. And the other thing, what he's saying, or what his office is saying is this. Uh, if you've got a problem with someone like um, P- Putin is a problem, you don't ignore them. These are the guys you go and talk so to. So you think he'd be you know, right Kim to do that, do you? was a problem. You go and talk to him, fix the problem for a uh, temporary. Anyway, and when he hears them saying, you know, we've got to do this a special relationship, he says anybody who is going around, like there are three countries in Europe, including the United Kingdom, mm. uh, who are talking about the special relationship and ha- with, with the United States, he said, the time wasters, mm. I know they're on my side, but it's the Mr. Putin at the moment that's causing the trouble. So Me- the best thing to do is go and have a cheeseburger. Mean- <laughs> meanwhile, um, Jens Stoltenberg and his position has been at pains, really, to point out how, how unified the alliance is and how it's not cracking up. It is holding together. And he was pointing out all the various things that NATO is doing together to protect against what's been perceived as a resurgent Russia. Yeah, and most of those things, in, in fact, a lot of those things, in, in, for example, the, uh, the battle, Baltic Battle Group, which has been trebled in, in, in its uh, size, is actually led by someone like the United Kingdom, or is led by the United Kingdom, and that's particularly important. The United Kingdom does a heck of a lot, but it does a lot of, is it doing all the right things? And that's what Trump is saying at the moment. That's what he's likely to say, and that's what everybody's frightened he's going to say on the 12th of uh, July when he comes to Brussels. All right, let's now talk about Romania, where the RAF is carrying out enhanced air policing on Operation Biloxi. James Hurst has been to see what they do. It's hard to watch a typhoon execute a performance takeoff and not be impressed. A few hundred metres after its wheels leave the ground, it turns upwards in an instant, flying almost vertically. In a matter of seconds, it's little more than a dot in the sky among the clouds. Mostly, the six RAF pilots here are doing this manoeuvre for practice, keeping their skills sharpened for the moment they're called out to intercept a plane that is threatening or has entered NATO airspace. We can just be you know, sitting down in front of the computer doing work or watching TV, and all of a sudden that siren goes. Squadron leader Roger Cruikshank is the lead pilot for two squadron on this mission, adding to Romania's own quick reaction alert. This is our bread and butter. It's something that we, we deliver at home for UK QRA. So we're just taking those skills out here and we are there ready over the Black Sea if required to intercept any, any threat. But it's not just about intercepting aircraft. It's also about being seen to be here, sending a signal to deter the rival Russia and reassure the ally NATO. In the nearest town, the Black Sea port of Constanta, as parents waited outside of school for their children, I asked what they made of having the RAF on their doorstep. We need protection. We are poor on planes, so we need a lot of protection from the NATO, from everybody. Ultimately, it's, it's because of Russia. I don't think that it is a threat to us. I think it's like uh, the US and the Russia is not in between. Are you scared of Russia or do you No, think... for what? I'm not scared. The reality so far on this deployment is that almost two months in, the RAF has only once had to scramble for real, heading off a Russian coot intelligence-gathering plane. The top British officer here, Wing Commander Chris Ball, believes that shows NATO deterrence like this is working. You know, in that messaging that NATO is strong together, 
the UK is committed to deploying to NATO partners and enforcing that collective defence, uh, perhaps we can take it as a measure of success that there have been so few scrambles. But it could equally be seen that you don't really need to be here, that you're arguing you're deterring when actually there's nothing to deter. We can look at the statistics and see that the UK and then the Royal Canadian Air Force comes after us. That presence of NATO partners here in Romania appears to show there are less uh, requirements to scramble. And thus, I think it's reasonable to take from that that uh, we are having a positive effect by being here. Russia looks at this and says, this is provocation by NATO, while NATO says Russia is provoking. Aren't we just stoking a cold war here? I think uh, NATO is extremely clear that this is a defensive mission. I've, been tried, I've tried to be extremely clear that this is a peacetime mission. You know, we are only four aircraft. That's not a huge um, force that could you know, ever be construed as being offensive. Us going training with other nations, I think that's something we do all the time and is an important part of being in an alliance, and we've been in alliances for many, many years. So I don't see that there's anything offensive or antagonistic in us coming here. The mission will be handed over to Canada at the end of the summer. The RAF will soon be doing similar operations in Estonia and Iceland, and it looks a safe bet they'll be back here in Romania next year. When NATO leaders meet next month, they will be talking about scaling operations like this up not down. That was James Hurst reporting from Romania. It is a pretty important conference, isn't it, Christopher, that one next month? It is. It's, it's interesting. And James, they're saying that when they're meeting next month, they'll be talking about scaling operations like this up rather than down, whereas the mood amongst a lot of countries, certainly 28 countries, is to scale down how much you spend on defence. Now, what's interesting, do you need to, to scale it up uh, because there is a threat? Or do you need to scale it up because you've got to ha know how to operate it? Well, now, the Canadians and the, and the British are doing this all the time. So it really is something which we're seeing a new mood in NATO and a new operational value, and which we'll see next oh. month, and that is NATO doing things in all its resources. And so it becomes a much bigger, almost like a Cold War power. And we're changing the way we're thinking about war. And I think we, we, we don't quite often get an idea of why we're doing that. And do, do you, when you say scaling up because there's a threat or not, when you hear what was in James's report, the, just anecdotally, the person he spoke to on the street was saying he didn't feel threatened by Russia. And if this is a NATO reassurance exercise, does anyone actually need reassuring? Uh, well, yes, but if you've got the resources, you say, right, we, if you go back three years... NATO sent down a lieutenant general down to, uh, to Romania and then, in fact, a bit further. And so we want to set up a new command. When you set up a new command, the first thing you do is send some aeroplanes down there and you start running these sort of exercises. You show you can do them any, 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 any way you like. But one scramble, just one scramble. I tell you that scramble, it was in a, a, an old Russian coot. It's called a coot. It's a NATO name. Uh, it was an intelligence gathering. And it was getting quite close to the border, so the uh, uh, the Royal Air Force scrambled. I remember we talked to the squadron leader at the oh, time. He was in the shower, wasn't he? He was, yes. <laughs> he was in the shower. Wait for me, he cried, and with one <laughs> leap, he was free. Mm. Now, listen, um, the, the important thing was the coup had been sent to see how quickly we responded. Mm. 
also the guy in the shower, how quickly he got out probably. But that's what they did. And they performed perfectly for the Russian invader who turned up and said, right, with their stopwatches, how long does it take? Yeah, but they're not going to not But that's what they do every single day of the week from places like Lucas, etc. I think that this idea, NATO is is going to suffer, perhaps a short-term thing, uh, from Trumpism. Uh, Trump is not going to go to the Brussels meeting, I'm probably wrong, I hope I am, uh, without making a point that NATO has not got it right. It's nothing to do with 2% or more than 2%. It's what you're doing, what you feel you're doing, uh, how you're turning Putin Mm -hmm. into an ogre. I mean, statements that come out of NATO every single week from from the Secretary General or the Deputy Secretary General, who is a very smart lady who worked in the State Department, about Putin. And... And Trump is starting to say in small bursts on on his iPhone, now listen, uh, is Putin that threat? Is he he such a threat? Are we sort of building this thing up to something else? Are we building it up for one particular reason in NATO? And that is if we don't build it up, we'll not be able to convince our chancellors of the Exchequer to give us that 2% for defence spending. Something tells me we're going to be having a lot to talk about next month. Now, throughout the whole programme, we have been discussing defence on a grand scale, vast budgets, equipment and alliances. But there's something going on every day in Parliament which could have an enormous consequence for British security, Brexit. In many parts of the European Union, agencies are established to fight crime and terrorism, for example, Europol. But enough has been said at senior levels of the European bureaucracies to be in no doubt that when the UK leaves the EU, it will no longer have access to these agencies. Well, let's talk to Francis Chuser, editor of Defence Analysis. Hello, Francis. Um, Give us some examples of policing and intelligence that we do now with European agencies, but might not do so in future well you have got common databases of uh mafia style organizations people are passing information back and forwards cross borders um so that if the uk needs data on for the sake of argument balkan uh uh, mafia style organization we can obtain it and uh there was a speech given by the head of uh, gchq what two days ago where he pointed out that this type of passing of information had stopped at least four serious terrorist uh incidents on in european countries mm. so it is at the moment relatively seamless and people just share because they know it makes sense in that light then can the eu really want to cut out that cooperation I have to say, this is one of the first times, Galileo um, satellites being the other, I think uh, Michel Barnier has actually gone way beyond his remit. And I've detected certainly from some of the Nordic countries and from France, people going, we don't want to give up this cooperation. It is too useful and we have saved lives through it. Um, I suspect we're going to see that type of thing develop over the next few months. Christopher Lee, how do you see all of this? Um, I think there is a a distinct... Uh, political side of this. If you remember, the the Prime Minister Mrs. May uh, was making some some remarks about uh, uh, withholding information on security if she didn't get the other side of the political deal. This was the deals. threat, wasn't it? It, yeah. it seems to have come home to roost yeah, in some ways. Well, it does. But well, or, for, or it's the other way around. Which it, is, it is. We 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 can make um, offers on security, and it certainly was meant to be a UK I don't want to use the phrase Trump card because uh, I think that may be overstating it but the UK impact on defence and security for Europe 
forget European Union, was thought to be an area we could um, bargain. But I, I still repeat, I think Michel Barnier has actually overplayed his hand on this. Yeah, so therefore, it, 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 it likely to get itself ironed out. I was talking to uh, two people uh, who are on counter-terrorism, uh, both from Metropolitan Police last week. They both said, extend this argument because we, as policemen, will continue to talk to policemen in, in, in continental Europe. Um, Europol can be organised or reorganised in, in, in any case, uh, but we will be a conduit through a lot of information that goes, let's say, to uh, a bureau in, in Brussels, and it will come back to us. But at the moment, we've got the makings of a very good uh, internet of, uh, of, of counter-terrorism operations in, in particular and security operations in general. And it's also a question of, you know, if you see somebody, can you arrest him? There's a, a, a sort of basic things like that which make Europe work. Uh, as one. Francis Chuser, what do you think uh, the implications will be for UK and Europe security? Um, if there is a total severing of these links, in the short and medium terms, it is going to mean that uh, organised crime, terrorists are going to have a far easier time in terms of moving around the continent, moving money around, you name it. Um, and it is for that reason, I think, that actually this type of area is likely to be taken out of the hands of the European Union and will go back to national control. So in, in other words, the French, the Germans, other countries, Netherlands will tell the European Union look, forget Brexit, this is about our citizens' uh, safety, we are going to come up with a deal with the UK. Within I think 12 months, it's, well, within yeah, 12 I, months I, I uh, Francis, in 12 months of uh, if the Brexit thing happens, as we expect to, within 12 months there'll be uh, a, a conference of European uh, heads of security, etc., in London. And that will be the, the tenor of the way forward. And that's what uh, one of the think tanks in London is now sort of actively planning for. So, Francis Chews, it just seems like a lot of hard work for everybody is being created. Yes, it's one of those ones with, with Brexit where you're going, come on, can't people sit down and go, forget various of the political um, agenda going on. Do we want to have safety against terrorism? Yes. In which case, come on, let's agree about a way forward. The fact that this is now being used as a, a rod, a weapon, helps no one. It does seem a bit irresponsible, doesn't it, Christopher? Well, it's, it's, it's not just irresponsible. It's also an indicator of, in fact, to some extent we've known for a long time, you have Europe, if you call it, you know, with, with a load of countries. We also have the Commission that runs Europe. And thinking in the Commission is quite different from what it is with sort of bilateral relations which you would have uh, with, with other countries, which is one of the reasons, in, in fact, one of the arguments for Brexit is that it's the other bits, the Commission side, that you find very, very difficult to, to deal with. But I think this idea, though, that it's, that it's, it's not unsupported, it's, it's, it's not challenged by individual countries, mm. uh, is it, it, particularly important. And all it takes, quite frankly, is a terrible, terrible, terrible a tragedy on the streets of a capital for people to come together and actually rethink this. And I think this is what it's going to be, not only the tragedy, that there will have to be a rethink that will once be the you've test, done the job. It? it will be. Uh, Francis, I'm going to put you on the spot. Sorry for this yeah. in advance. But uh, we were talking earlier about the NATO <coughs> summit coming up uh, next month, and Christopher was saying that Donald Trump won't go without having something to say. What do you think he'll say? 
uh, he is going to go moderately mental about the pathetic level of defence spending. That's and it. by the way, by the way, the, any idea the UK is going to be able to say, oh, it doesn't apply to us, doesn't apply to us, I think he is also going to uh, address the fact that bigger countries like the UK should be spending even more. And Christopher, what do you think? I think the, I think the 2% is, is something which he easy trot out. He can easily trot out and do it. I think something much bigger, I mean, he'll start to link it, for example, with uh, Russian cooperation. Uh, like bringing Russia back into the in, into the G7 stroke G8, uh, and there is a there is a security aspect. You notice how uh, in the past sort of four weeks, uh, all, the whole thing about uh, e- economic cuts and ties with different countries. The thing that he says this is for American security, or it threatens American security, mm. and I think there is a part of his background team are actually quite a thinking that NATO ought to have a bigger idea of where it goes from here. It's it's a time to change. And and Trump enjoys change. All right. And there we'll leave it for today. Francis Chooser, thank you for your time. That's all we have time for this week. Do check out our video on the Forces News Facebook page and send us your comments. Or you can tweet us at BFBS Sitrep. Never miss an episode by subscribing to this show as a podcast. From me, Kate Chabot, thanks very much for listening. I'll speak to you the same time next week. Bye-bye for now. of British news, sport and entertainment for the British forces overseas. This is BFBS Radio 2. A warning from